Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. We are going to continue our series, Legends in the Making. It's week two of this series. Uh, and really, we're getting really going here on this journey with Saul and Barnabas. So week one was kind of just setting the stage for what this journey would become as we'll start to see it uh, take shape today. And so in week one, we saw that Saul had been kind of up in the north in where, his hometown for about 15 years or so in obscurity. Like we know his writings now, we know his ministry now, we're going to talk about it all year long as we finish up Acts but for 15 years before that, almost 17 years, he's just living up there in Tarsus, really not doing a whole lot that we know of. And so then Barnabas, a guy that he knew from years ago when he was converted to Christ, comes up to Tarsus and says, hey, there's this new church in Antioch of Syria, and we're going to go teach there. And so he brings Paul with him. And for about a year, they teach at this church, and they prepare this church for what God's going to do in them and through them. And then as the church is meeting, the Holy Spirit speaks to them and says, now I'm going to send out Saul and Barnabas to do the work that I've called them to do. And so we looked at that last week, and today the journey really begins for these two ministers. We're going to see they stop really quick at a couple of stops we don't know a lot about, and then we're going to focus a lot of our time on kind of the third stop on their journey here uh, as they really become these legends in the making. So let's read here. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13, uh, a, a big chunk here of the, sort of the middle of Acts 13. We're going to read this first sort of encounter that they have on this missionary journey. So let's read it, and then we'll unpack it this morning. Acts 13, starting at verse number 4. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. That will be key coming up in a couple weeks and then later on at the end of our series as well. John Mark, who wrote the book of Mark, went with them as their assistant. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Eliamus, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. Then he said, You son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, the enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. 
So in these first few stops, this first major power encounter of Saul or Paul and Barnabas, we will see that they followed three simple spirit steps, three spirit steps. And so they seem simple, but they will change the course of your life. And so my hope is, as we kind of follow them on their journey on, along these three steps here in Acts 13, uh, we will see what God can do in us and through us. Because again, the point of this series is that God has legendary plans for your life. I believe that. And so as we follow these spirit steps, it'll get us closer to discovering and living out what that plan is that God has for us, okay? So three spirit steps. Here's the first one that we'll look at for a little bit today. The first step for Paul and Barnabas is they were led by the Holy Spirit. They were led by the Holy Spirit. Now, most of the time and most of this story that we'll talk about today happens in one city, Paphos, okay? But it's actually the third stop in Acts 13, so they, they stop first in Seleucia, which is a port city um, south of where they were in Antioch. They get on the boat and they go to Salamis, which is on the eastern coast of the island of Cyprus. And they travel all over to other unnamed cities. Luke doesn't name all of them, just these main ones, Salamis. And so what we see is that Saul and Barnabas went exactly where the Holy Spirit led them. So they, they started in Seleucia, this port city. There were other port cities. It wasn't the only one in the area. But for some reason, God led them there. We don't really know what happened there. We don't have a lot of details, but we know that they were just led every single step of the way by the Holy Spirit. They followed his direction. And even if some of these other stops, you know, the second one, Salamis, not a, we don't know a lot about what happens there. They preach in the synagogues. There wasn't a lot of action, as we'll see moving forward. Usually when Paul enters the synagogue and preaches Jesus, riots break out. So that didn't, probably didn't happen here, or Luke would have recorded it. So not a lot of things happening early on, but still they're making an impact because they were being led by the Holy Spirit. And so the question for us as we uh, try to follow these spirit steps is, will we be led by the Holy Spirit? And it may not be flashy all the time. Like we, we see that at the beginning. You might think, well, that means I'm going to do this amazing thing that's going to change the world. Well, maybe it's you're actually going to go talk to your neighbor. Maybe it means you're going to meet that new person at work. Maybe it's you're going to go pray for someone in line at the grocery store, right? It's maybe those little things that we think, well, that's not going to make the news. No, but are you going to be led by the Holy Spirit? Are you willing to go where he wants you to go and do what he wants you to do? The question that we want to ask ourselves really constantly is, why am I here? In this moment, at this location, why am I here? What's my purpose? Maybe it is the same job every day. Maybe it is the same coworkers every day. But think, ask, why am I here? Is it more than just a mundane thing? Is it more than just earning a paycheck? Is it more than just doing what I'm supposed to be doing? What is the purpose that the Holy Spirit has for me where I am? Be spirit-led. Maybe it's your same family that you see all the time and the same neighbors that you're around all the time, and it may seem just normal. But that's what the first part of, the, of Acts 13 shows us. It's not always these, you know, this sorcerer that you stare down and that, you know, cause them to be blind. That doesn't happen all the time. But will you still be spirit-led in the normal, in the mundane, in the everyday? The Holy Spirit leads into all kinds of places and situations. We see it here in Acts 13. Sometimes the Holy Spirit's going to lead you into familiar territory. For Barnabas, that's the case. He's from the island of Cyprus. We saw that earlier in the book of Acts. So he's kind of going back home to do ministry, which is not always an easy thing to do, but the Holy Spirit led him to familiar territory. But sometimes he'll lead you into new territory, foreign territory. That's where Paul is, or Saul at this point. He flips his name. We'll talk about that in a minute. 
uh, here in Acts 13. But it's new for him. He's not from Cyprus. He's from north. He's from a different part of the area. So this is new to him. This is strange to him, but he's being led by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, as we saw maybe at the beginning, God will lead you into friendly territory. Sometimes what God wants you to do is received by those to which you're ministering, and things go great, and God moves, and it's just an amazing thing. We see that in some degree, I think, by the silence of Luke at the beginning here. But sometimes he's going to lead us into hostile territory. And that's where the main part of this story, the exciting part, comes from. It's exciting when it happens to Paul, right? But when it happens to me, it's not so exciting. The hostile territory is not a fun thing that I want to tell my kids and grandkids about. It's a thing that I want to like suppress and hide and pretend like it never happened because it was painful and terrible and dangerous and messy, and I don't want to think about or deal with it ever again. Sometimes that's the case. And you think about the different types of territory, the familiar territory. It would have been tempting, I think, for Barnabas to have overlooked the opportunities in this familiar territory. I think that's where we find ourselves probably most often. We overlook obvious opportunities because, well, it's the same neighbor, or it's the same family member, or it's the same coworker, or it's the same thing. It's just every day I'm just doing my thing, and sometimes we miss it. So I pray that we would be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and where he's leading us and to whom he's leading us to not miss those obvious opportunities even in friendly territory. Sometimes, though, if you're like Saul, you may think about the new territory and you just get frozen with fear. Like, you may have a sense of what God's wanting you to do in the moment. You're like, ah, no, I don't know. That's different. That's not, that's not my personality. That's not like me. I can't do that. But if the Holy Spirit's leading you there, it's not by accident. It's for a divine design. It's for a purpose. And so see your journey as an adventure. God, where do you want me to go? Holy Spirit, where do you want to lead me? And then in the uh, friendly territory again, sometimes we can get too comfortable there. Sometimes we can get, you know, we can just get, you know, kind of in the zone. But I pray that we would press in, stay focused on the, the task that God has for us in a spiritual sense. But then let's, let's focus on the hostile territory for a couple minutes here. That's the one that we don't like. That's the one that is maybe the least desirable, yet that's where most of the amazing opportunity might lie if we're willing to push ourselves there. Sometimes we're thrown off by that. Well, it's the good news. Why is someone thrown off by the good news? Or I'm doing a good deed or a good thing, and why, why are they being so hostile, and why are they being so terrible to me, and what's, what's, where's the disconnect? And so we don't always see that that's really how it's going to go much of the time. N.T. Wright, who is an author and scholar, he says simply this, there is no advance for the gospel without opposition. There is no advance for the gospel without opposition. If you're being led by the Holy Spirit, and if you desire to truly make an impact, you will face spiritual opposition. You have an enemy who is against you. So any territory, all territory, is enemy territory. Even the friendly is enemy territory because what, what, what Satan wants to do is he wants to continue to control the culture, control society, control people's hearts and minds. Paul later on in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he says that Satan is the god of this world and he's blinding people to the truth. And so when you and I have a desire to make a difference for the kingdom of God, it means we're encroaching on the kingdom of darkness. It means we are opposing an, another force. And that may come through people, as we'll look at, and we see in Acts, but it's a spiritual thing that we're facing. It's spiritual opposition. Satan desires to maintain that control, and we want to overtake that control that he has. 
This is the resistance that Barnabas and Saul encounter here in Acts 13. So they, they have this Roman governor, Sergius Paulus, and he is, it says, intelligent man. He's obviously cultured. He's a Roman leader, and, but he wants to hear them. He requests them to, he knows they're around, they're on the island. He requests them to come and share with him the word of God. Yet there's this Jewish sorcerer named Eliamus who, when I was telling Ken the other day about what we we're going to talk about today, I had this image come into my brain. You ever seen, you know, Aladdin, you know, the classic kids show, kids uh, movie, think of Elimus as like Jafar. He's got this staff, you know, and he like, I don't know if he's, he has some sort of power over the Roman governor. There's some sort of influence that seems to be spiritual in nature. Some scholars say that Elimus was more than likely demon-possessed, and so he's got this literal evil working through him to overtake really the mind and thoughts of this guy that he's in his ear. So whatever that looks like, that's where we see because he's saying, don't listen to them. They're trying to deceive you. This is a trick. This is a trap. This is no good. Ignore them. But make no mistake, in your effort to live a life of effective faith, you will face opposition. It's going to happen. So the question is not, uh, will you face opposition? The question is, when you face opposition, how will you respond? There's three, I, I think there might be more, but I think there's three main options when we face opposition. And let's talk about them for just a second. Opposition can do one of three things in your life. Opposition can harden you, opposition can break you, or opposition can sharpen you. Those are the three main options that we see here. Opposition can harden you, break you, or sharpen you. So let's look at all of them for just a second. Opposition has the tendency to harden us because sometimes we build up maybe what you might call like a spiritual callus. And you would think, well, that's good because I need that. You know, I need like, I, I need, you know, lots of sort of armor here. Um, I need thick skin to overcome that. But what happens is over time, we tend, as we get harder and harder in our spirit, in our hearts, we focus too much on the physical nature of the opposition and less on the spiritual nature. And so what happens is over time, as we get hardened, as we become angry and defensive and argumentative toward other people, we can take it personally instead of spiritually. It becomes an us versus them I'm fighting these people, I'm fighting this group, I'm fighting, you know, the culture at large, instead of, no, it's not us versus them, it's us trying to reach them, which is a totally different approach, and it will not happen if we've hardened our hearts through this opposition. So in your pursuit of God's legendary plans for your life, when, not if, when you've experienced opposition, maintain spiritual focus. Maintain this, these eyes of faith to see what's really happening under the surface that you can't quite see, but you can feel that. Maintain eyes of faith to not become hardened and bitter toward others around you and then be ineffective in reaching them. But also, uh, opposition can break us if we're not careful. Because sometimes opposition builds and builds and builds, and eventually you just had enough. I can't take this anymore. I'm not going to take the abuse anymore. I'm not going to take this, you know, treatment anymore. Is this even worth the trouble? Like, I'm getting laughed at over here by people that used to be my friends because I have the, these stances and I have these, you know, uh, positions that I have based on the Bible and they just don't get it, right? I just can't take it anymore. I'm losing family. I'm losing friends. I feel like I'm not really making any difference anyway. Like, what's, it's costing me so much, but I'm not really gaining anything from it. And so we just sometimes just throw in the towel. Do not allow the enemy to break you. That's his desire. That's what he wants. He wants you to crack and crack and crack until you're totally broken. 
That's what he wants. Bend, but don't break. Let me give you some scriptures really quick to reference. Uh, you can write these down and, and look them up this week. 1 John 4, 4, John reminds us, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So we think about the opposition that we face, but don't forget that you have someone in your corner fighting on your behalf for you. You're not on your own. I'm, not, I'm against the powers of darkness. Well, you are, but Christ has, first of all, already defeated them ultimately on the cross and through his resurrection. And secondly, he's the one fighting the battle for you, with you, right? Romans 8.37, Paul, who's in this story later on, he writes, we are more than conquerors through Christ. Yes, you're facing opposition now. I don't see a way out. I don't see any hope. You're already a conqueror through Christ. The words of Jesus, John 10, verse 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. That's the hope that we have. Is it hard to see that in the moment sometimes? Yes. Is it miserable sometimes, the opposition that we face? Yes. Do we want to break and give in and throw in the towel? Yes. But instead, may opposition not harden us or break us, but may it in fact sharpen us. Because what you can think is this, and this is hard, I get it. It's easy right now in this setting to say these things, but I'm telling you, if we can try to adopt these patterns in our lives, it will change everything. So instead of uh, being hardened or broken, we can say, I must be doing something right. If I'm getting this much pushback on what God's calling me to do, on where the Holy Spirit's leading me to go, I'm, I'm on the right track. Because if I'm not being effective, I'm not going to have any opposition against me. So you can, you can I, don't, I don't say trick yourself into thinking that. You can just believe the reality of the situation that you're facing. I must be a threat if Satan's really coming after me in these types of ways. So in the midst of opposition, keep working, keep fighting, keep battling, and keep learning. Later on in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes that we are aware of the schemes of the enemy. We're aware of them. We know. He's only got so many tricks in his book. He's, he's not, I mean, he's got some power, but he's not that smart because he's only got so many things he can do, right? There's only so many directions he can come at us from. He's very good at them, but he's limited in those things. And so we can learn in that moment, okay, what is Satan really trying to do? What's the opposition? How, how am I being come against? How is this trying to harden me or break me? But how instead through faith can I overcome and become even sharper to fight even harder? Ultimately, the key is to stay connected to the Holy Spirit that's leading you. That's what Saul and Barnabas do here. They stayed strong. They remained focused. They were grounded uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit as they were led by the Holy Spirit. Because if you know in your heart and you know in your mind, you know in your spirit that it's the Holy Spirit leading me here, then I can withstand the opposition in the end. It's going to be tough. It might be painful. It might be miserable at times. I'm not going to, you know, sugarcoat how life works. But I'm saying if we know in our heart of hearts, deep down, that the Holy Spirit's leading us through his power, we can overcome opposition. So let's be continually led by the Holy Spirit. Let's search for ways that God wants to use us as the Holy Spirit leads us. So let's be led by the Spirit. But then secondly, we see that Barnabas and Saul were also filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to look again at, at the, really the, just the beginning of Acts 13, verse 9. I've got it kind of underlined, a couple colors here. We're going to look at two parts of this verse. Acts 13, verse 9, it says, Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, we're going to focus on those, those two statements right there. So this moment in Acts 13 is a massive turning point for Paul. Yes, Paul, right? Up till now, he's Saul. 
This, so sometimes people think, well, when he's converted on the road to Damascus, his name changes from Saul to Paul. Nope, that was 17 years ago. He's still Saul up until this moment. He's known as Saul of Tarsus until now. It's when he is filled with the Holy Spirit and has this supernatural encounter that his whole identity changes. Everything about him takes a huge change. It, it, there's a huge shift that happens in his life. So he, it's, it's here where we see the real name change from Saul to Paul after being filled with the Holy Spirit. It was, it, it was uh, transformational to his identity. The other thing that we're going to notice is it also put the focus now on Paul. So before this moment, it was Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas was always listed before Saul. Every time you see them together, Barnabas is the leader of the group. He's the leader of the ministry, Barnabas and Saul. Now, when Paul has this encounter, not only does he go by his Greek name, Paul, to reach the, the non-Jews with the gospel, but now he's up in front. It's now Paul and Barnabas. It's now Paul and his ministry associates. He's always out in the front. This was the moment that kind of broke everything open. And it was when Paul was able to be filled with the Holy Spirit that he was able to step into all that God had for him to do. So that's the first major thing here, Saul, also known as Paul. But the key here is he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's compare that idea, that thought, to this other man, uh, Eliamus, that we read about, this opposition here in Acts 13. So Paul's filled with the Holy Spirit, but what does he say that Eliamus is filled with? He says, you son of a devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud. So as you look, we looked, as we read earlier the text, Eliamus has, that's his Greek name. Just like Paul and Saul, he also has a Jewish Hebrew name, Bar-Jesus. Bar means son of, so his name literally means son of Jesus. Now what's interesting about this guy is the other descriptors about him that are oxymorons, if you know anything about the Old Testament. It says he's a Jewish sorcerer, and he's a false prophet. Those things don't exist in Jewish culture. Okay? Sorcerers, according to Old Testament law, are to be stoned to death. Uh, false prophets, according to Old Testament law, are to be stoned to death. So this guy shouldn't exist. Like, literally, he should not be alive if he really is who he claims to be. And it's not, here's what he claims. He's claiming to be a Jewish sorcerer. He's claiming to be a prophet, right? But he's a false prophet. And he may be like, he's not a practicing faithful Jew in any stretch of the imagination. Or he would not be the other things that he actually is. So that's what we see here, and that's where Paul says, you're full of deceit. You're full of fraud. You're saying you're this thing, but you're not. You're using religion to get what you want, and that's not how it works. You're twisting this person's mind and brain based on your ability that may be a demon inside of you, okay? Which is weird, but that's, that's where we are here in this story. Paul says clearly this guy is a fraud. He's perverting truth to suit himself, He's using religion for personal gain. He's adopting religious talk to maintain power. Because the only reason he's got this cushy job with this Roman official is because of his influence that he seems to have over him. It's, again, that staff that Jafar has to kind of melt the mind of the, of, you know, the sultan. It's the same idea here. And the problem for Eliamus, or really the problem for Paul and Barnabas, is they are threats to Eliamus's power. They are threats to his influence. And if he loses his power and influence, then he's lost everything. He's of no value to anyone. And so that's why he opposes them. Paul says you're full of lies, deceit, pride, and fraud. But Saul, or Paul, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And we'll look at what he does here in a second. But as a follower of Jesus, we should always be full of the Holy Spirit. 
okay? When, when you come to Christ, you're, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're a new person. But like Paul here in this story, I believe there are moments, there are occasions, there are opportunities where the Holy Spirit wants to do something more powerful in that moment. And so it's sort of this filling to overflowing of the Holy Spirit where God wants to use you in an abnormal type of way, in a spirit-filled type of way. And so my hope is that we, as we're always filled with the Holy Spirit, that we would pray for discernment, pray for power, pray for opportunity, pray for boldness to be used when that moment comes. It might be out of nowhere. It might be unexpected. It probably will be. It might be in a very intense sort of interaction with someone. It might be. But pray for boldness, discernment, power to be used by the Holy Spirit. Uh, maybe it's a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom to someone that he's going to fill you with this for them. Uh, maybe it's a powerful prayer for healing for someone. Like you just sense, okay, I need to go pray for that person. I need to go, like, maybe it's, you know, today. Maybe it's literally at the store this week. You just had this sense. You see somebody, somebody that works on your heart, and he, the Holy Spirit's telling you, I'm filling you with power to pray for them. Let's take, let's take uh, opportunities as they come. And sometimes, like Paul here in Acts 13, sometimes the Holy Spirit's going to fill you with boldness and power to speak up in a difficult situation. Now, as a rule of thumb, my rule of thumb as a Christian is I want to be more known for what I'm for than known for what I'm against. I think sometimes Christians get it mixed up the other way. We want to be against this and against that and they're bad and that's wrong. I'd rather be known more for what I'm for than what I'm against. However, there are times, and we see it here in Acts 13, where sometimes we have to just speak up about something. Sometimes we have to just make known what the truth really is and not just let it slide anymore. There are times where that happens, so we want to allow the Holy Spirit to give us the right words at the right time to the right people to get the right result. As we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we can see this happen. Notice Paul wasn't filled with fear. He wasn't filled with anger. He wasn't filled with frustration. He wasn't filled with uncertainty. He wasn't filled with anxiety. He knew, I've got the power of the Holy Spirit inside of me. He's positioned me in this moment for a reason. I'm going to speak exactly what he wants me to speak. It doesn't sound very nice at the moment, uh, but he knew that's what God wanted him to do. And so as we're led by the Holy Spirit and as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, my prayer is that we can then be used by the Holy Spirit. That's the last thing we'll look at as we, as we begin to close. Used by the Holy Spirit. So as Paul is filled, he then speaks to Elimus, and he exposes him for what he is. And then look at, remember what he does? He pronounces judgment on him. He says, you're going to be blinded for some time. And it's, it's fine if you want to say that, but then if you say it, man, it better happen, right? So Paul's like, ooh, you know, I'm going to make this out loud declaration. It might even be in the Bible later. He didn't know that. But um, it, if you say something like you're going to be struck with blindness as a punishment from God, Boy, you better be right. You better be really filled with the Holy Spirit to do that. And Paul does it here. What's ironic about this punishment is that's what happened to Paul, isn't it? 17 years ago, this young, this young Jewish leader named Saul is spiritually blind. He's persecuting Christians who follow Jesus. He's imprisoning them. He's butchering them. And he's actually on his way in Acts chapter 9 to go arrest more of them when he has a blinding vision of Jesus Christ who then 
changes the entire course of his life. So he's experienced this very thing. He was blinded for three days until a man named Ananias prayed for him to receive his sight after he had been received his spiritual sight. And so I, I don't know if the Holy Spirit, you know, is like, man, this is going to be so much fun to see how this comes full circle for Paul here. Like he's going to think back, this is exactly what happened to me. I'm sure Paul had that moment here. And maybe that's why the Holy Spirit led him to say this and so he could do this to this man. And I'm sure that Paul's like, man, I know what, I know what you're going through, Elimus. Like I know it really, it's no fun right now that you're blind and you're confused and the Holy Spirit's really just, you know, kind of pants you right now and that's just how it is. You know, you just feel like out of sorts. Um, but I've been there. And so I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I don't want to read too much into this, but I'm thinking Paul probably is like, that's how God got to me. That's how he is going to get to him. So now I'm not saying that we, you know, we should go around with like, I, I'm going to start a new blindness ministry now, you know. You're going to be blind so he'll be saved. You're going to be blind so he'll I mean, That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that's what happened here with Paul. But he was used by the Holy Spirit in a very unique way, in a very strange way. And we don't know what happened to Elimus. We don't know if this transformed his life like it had Paul. But we do know what happened to the Roman governor that he was advising. Because it says in Acts 13, verse 12, when the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer. But why? For he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. So notice, he doesn't become a Christian because he doesn't want to get blinded. It's not out of fear. That doesn't work. Okay? Threatening people... Uh, with fear does not get them saved for very long. It might in the moment for a couple weeks and then life gets back and boy, they're just the same person. It doesn't work. But what happens here is there's a pronouncement of truth by Paul. There's a powerful work through the Holy Spirit through Paul. And there's the proclamation of the gospel by Paul, which led to the salvation of this man. It says he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. So what he sees here is, okay, I've heard what they've tried to tell me, and Eliamus is trying to put these other thoughts and doubts in my mind. I'm, I'm trying to wrestle with that. And then I see, man, this, Paul is really used by some kind of force here or some kind of God or something. It must be that what he told me and what he just did are the same. So he's astonished. He's convinced. He's changed and transformed into a new person. That's what the Word of God did in Acts 13. And it's what the Word of God does now. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Every time I read this verse, I have to make this statement. We don't just simply read the Bible. The Bible reads us. That's the power. That's what separates that one book from any other book. That's what separates the Bible from any other work of literature that's ever been written, ever been conceived of, is that it reads the human heart, the human mind. The Holy Spirit knows your thoughts. It's kind of a scary thing, isn't it? But it's, it's true. The Holy Spirit knows your past, your present, and your future all at the same time. The Holy Spirit knows your sins and your hang-ups. The Holy Spirit knows your questions and your curiosities. That's the power of the Bible. Because not only uh, does the Holy Spirit know those things, the Bible speaks to all of those things. There is no question that you have that the Bible cannot answer. There is no issue that you face that the Bible cannot help remedy. There is no problem in the world that the Bible cannot help to solve. That's the power of the Bible. And as the Bible reads us, it speaks to us. 
And like Sergius Paulus here in Acts 13, I hope that it astonishes us. I can't believe that the Bible like, knew what I was thinking today. I can't believe that God knew what was on my mind today. I can't believe that there's an actual verse that helps me deal with this issue in my life. Yes, that's the same power that Paul uses, the same power that we have through the truth of God's word. And so as we are changed and transformed by God's word, then the Holy Spirit uses us, yes, us in the room, to do exactly what he's called us to do. These life-changing plans, these legendary plans that God has. And again, you may not think much of it at times, but as you're led by the Holy Spirit, he'll put you right where he wants you to be. As you're filled with the Holy Spirit, he will help you to do exactly what he wants you to do with these legendary plans for your life. So then you can be used by the Holy Spirit in powerful ways to change the things that ail this world to change and transform people's hearts and minds and spirits. And it's not us doing it. Remember, it's three spirit steps. It's not three Stephen steps, okay? It's three spirit steps. As we're led by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, we can be mightily, powerfully used by the Holy Spirit to change the world. Let's pray. God, that's our desire, is to see change, to see transformation, to see your Spirit do what no one and nothing else can do. And so I pray that we would be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And maybe this is a new thing for us. Maybe this is a new idea. But God, you, you want to place us in key positions for your greater purpose. We're not here by accident or coincidence. We don't live where we live by accident. We don't work where we work for no reason. We don't go where we go and meet the people that we meet for no reason. You have an ultimate plan. And so as you lead us, may we just simply by faith follow where you want us to go. May we have sort of a sense of what you're doing and where you're leading us and maybe what that means. Maybe not, but even if we don't quite have it all figured out, may we just simply obediently be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And God, as you lead us by your Spirit, may we be filled with your Spirit. Now, continually, as your people, yes, but especially in those key moments where we need kind of an extra jolt of courage, or, or we need that, that word for someone, or we need to say the right thing at the right time, the Holy Spirit will fill us in those moments to say the right thing and do the right thing and make the difference that you want us to make. And that's the whole point, is that you lead us and you fill us to use us for your glory. Because this life's not about me. Our existence is not really about us. It's about the impact that you want to make through us as your people. So help us to, again, be sensitive to where you're leading us, what you're doing in us, so you can work mightily through us to see impact made for your kingdom, to invade the kingdom of darkness with the kingdom of light, to see lives changed and transformed in powerful ways through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, I thank you and praise you that you're always with us, that you're going to leave with, with us as we leave this place today. We pray that you would give us a great week led by and filled with and used by your Holy Spirit and bring us back next time ready for more of you in Jesus' name. Amen.